You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Todd Lesher. I'm your host. And today, we're going to have a great conversation with one of our pastors, Jonathan Scott. A long time ago, Jonathan gave a message about building a biblical worldview, and that just stuck with me. And I thought, hey, let's bring him on the podcast and talk about developing a biblical worldview in your family. So, Jonathan, thanks for being on the podcast. Todd, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yes. Well, Jonathan, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and your faith journey? Sure, yeah. So, I was born as a very young child. That's a no- Oh, that's a, oh that's you a, and me both. That's amazing. That's a very, that's a very old joke. So, uh, I come from um, a Caribbean background. That's my, that's where I, my parents are Jamaican. I was born in New York. I'm the only American born in my family. So I threatened my, my family with deportation if they ever mm-hmm. mess with me. Right, but anyway, right. I was born in New York. My family relocated from Jamaica to New York and the Bahamas. My, my dad my, and my mother, uh, they were living in Bahamas from Jamaica. Uh, so after my birth, I moved back to the Bahamas, Grand Bahamas, and the, the, the town of Freeport. Lived there for 11 years with um, two brothers and a sister and a bunch of dogs. Um, a very strong Christian home. And so we had the privilege of, I mean, we were connected with the church. I basically have said that I've been in church since I was an embryo. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we grew up having discussions about Christ and the the Bible. We had family devotions every week when we actually brought out hymnals. We would sing. and and What is a hymnal? Hymnal? Uh, uh, It's an app. You can get it. It's it's an app. I'm sure you can get that. But uh, we would also, uh, bedtime stories were Bible stories. We were Mm -hmm. big into the church. And so I've never known what uh, a life without the presence of God in and around it. But at seven years old, even with all that, at seven years old, I came to the personal decision and even to this day, I knew exactly what I was doing. Mm. With everything that had been taught in church and in my family, I knew of the reality of Jesus Christ. I knew what he had done. I knew of his sacrifice on the cross. I knew the resurrection, but I knew the reason for that to be able to resolve my sin issue. And at seven years old, I came to the awareness that I needed that for me. And so I remember asking my mom um, to help me to make Jesus Christ my savior and my friend. Mm -hmm. She prayed with me in her bedroom and I received Christ. There's never been a doubt Mm -hmm. since that point about what Jesus had done then and what he's doing now. Although there's been a lot of doubt as far as how faithful a follower Mm -hmm. I am in that process. Well, we continued to grow. We uh, we left from the Bahamas, moved to Miami. I really kind of call Miami home, spent the rest Mm -hmm. of my uh, formative years there as an adolescent with my family. Phenomenal city. Uh, We were in great churches there as well. Graduated from, from high school, South Miami High School, very proud Cobra. I'm okay. a I'm okay. the mighty Cobras. Cobras, very, very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then I went to Garden Web College. Um, right down the street here uh, in Boiling Springs with a religion with a religion degree, and then I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary for my Master of Divinity before I came back to Miami to serve in my home church for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that time, married uh, a wonderful, beautiful woman, um, stunning is what I've called her, mm-hmm. Kathleen, and uh, after she and I were married for about five years, had two kids of our own, Nathan and Christine, who are now 25, 26, and a, a bunch of animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, okay. that seems to be yeah. a part of the picture. Yeah. And uh, so that that was my journey then, and we we did in my family, in my, my, with my kids, what was done with me. Yeah. Raise them in the same yeah. environment, a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, about uh, several months ago, uh, my wife of 30 years mm-hmm. of marriage um, uh, passed away in January uh, to MS. She'd had that for 29 years of our mm-hmm. relationship, but she yeah. passed away in January. And difficult times throughout, and as a matter of fact, that was formative in the, my, our faith journey yeah. with my kids and our relationship, but there was a, a sweet release. Everything in that process was released into the hands of God. And so again, that's been 
very impactful in the quality of our faith and how we've walked that out over the years. Mm, awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Absolutely. Jonathan, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Thank you. So let's start really basic, and why don't you just help us understand what is a worldview? Yeah, I would also go ahead and say that regardless of whatever, whether they're Christian or not, parents are the spiritual um, directors of their kids' lives regardless. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it all it all depends, however, on what influences. Yeah. Yeah. A worldview, uh, the picture I like of, for a worldview is like, it's a set of glasses that you always wear through which you look at the world. Okay. And it basically answers some very key questions as, as far as a worldview. Uh, where do we come from and why are we here? Hmm. What's the problem when you take a look around the world? What's the problem? Yeah. What caused it to go the why way is that it, it like is? This? As yeah. well as then, what are the solutions? How do we fix okay. it? Or how does it get okay. fixed? Everybody that has that, that has thought through or is you know, able to have some type of a practical thinking, they have an answer for those kinds of questions. Mm. Where do we come from? Why are we here? What's wrong? And how do we fix it? So that's the basic foundations, in my opinion, of what a worldview is. So you would say, Christian or not, everybody has a worldview. Exactly right. A way that they see the world mm-hmm. and answer those that's exactly questions right. that you mm-hmm. gave. Right. Okay. So what do you think influences a person's worldview, just in kind of a general standpoint? Yeah, um, several things. Um, uh, it could be tradition. It could be things that, I, that were handed down to me, things that were passed mm-hmm. down to me by my by my family. It could be uh, a lot of what goes on in culture, depending upon which particular personalities you may subscribe to or listen to, favorite uh, uh, sports uh, you know p- people or celebrities or mm-hmm. political figures or literary figures that help to shape that. I think a lot of it also has to do with feelings, my the way I feel about things or my own experiences, how I interpret from there. I don't know that it that many people can formulate formulate a worldview simply in a vacuum just by themselves. I think it's a combination okay. of all those things. Yep. But I would also say it's from whatever particular source of authority that we subscribe mm-hmm. to. Uh, for the Christians, that's obviously it's the scriptures. That yeah. is what helps us to formulate a worldview. But it can be a variety of different things that we identify as the source of authority or the lens through which we evaluate life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to get specific on that one, talking about authority, if people say, I don't have authority over my life. That's an authoritative statement. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. So even if they say, well, no authority is influencing me, well, therefore you are the authority. That's exactly right. Yeah. At the end that's of the exactly day. right. That's really mm-hmm. good. Um, kind of those influences in there. So, so again, just to emphasize, when a person refuses to allow any per, any person or any particular type of thought um, to in, to be the factor of that causes them to make decisions. Um, cause I have people that sometimes tell me, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe this. I just believe in, I, I believe in myself. I said, well, there you go. That, yeah. That's so you're saying that your authority, you're determining the basis of reality mm. of what it is from your perspective. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. In some sense, you are, you, you are your worldview. Well, and so, and, you know, I, I go even further to say, okay, how much of reality are you actually a hundred percent sure of? Mm-hmm. And I mean, physical, metaphysical, Macrocosmic, microcosmic. How mm-hmm. much of that are you actually sure of? Mm-hmm. And it always boils down to at least less than a hundred. Yep. <laughs> Somewhere less than a hundred. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying, are you willing to bet the 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 eternal nature of your life on the minuscule amount that you have absolute familiarity with? Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility that in the part that you don't know about, there can be the reality of truth even beyond you? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so you, I I really like that you gave the imagery of the glasses that you put yeah. on to mm-hmm. see the world. Yeah. Well, how does worldview consciously or subconsciously influence us? Some people are aware of the glasses they're putting on, and some people are like, I didn't realize I had these glasses on, but I've been viewing the world like this Mm -hmm. ever since blank, Mm -hmm. or all of this time. So what would you say about the conscious, subconscious way our worldview influences us? Yeah, um, in the way we make decisions. 
in the way that we make decisions and the way yeah. we do evaluations of things. In other words, the, the, the very fact that I may decide uh, on a particular color has an awful lot to do with my experiences or mm-hmm. my feelings, the way that I feel about certain people, the way that I feel about certain political groups. Um, so the worldview affects how you make decisions about the kinds of people that you interact with, the kind of statements or the kind of philosophies that you will either um, accept or reject, um, the kinds of um, uh, forces in, in nature or in society that you may gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And you're right. In many cases, you're not really sure why that is. As a matter of fact, one of the most uh, provocative questions that you can ask somebody is, why do you feel that way? And then mm-hmm. sit back and watch the show. Because yeah. many people don't really know why they feel the way they do or why they do the things they do. They just know that that's basis of reality. So there's a sense to where that it, it can be a conscious thing in the way that we make decisions. And some people can very well clarify, here are the reasons why. One of the things I enjoy is listening to people. It's not so much to know what they're thinking, but how they're thinking. Hmm. And that's where questions become very, very important yeah. to know how they're thinking. How are they putting things together and where does, where does that come from? It shows up in our expectations, right? The expectations that we have that we don't necessarily take an awful lot of time to identify where are those expectations come from, coming from? What's driving me into expecting that this should happen a certain way? Uh, and dreams and longings. Those are also some things that have an awful lot to do with our worldview, but especially how we view the way the world is going So, um, and, and, on our, and, our, and our opinions. Unfortunately, this particular point, especially with uh, the prolific nature of, you know, Twitter and Facebook, and, and now everybody's a published author, mm-hmm. you know, that you are seeing folks having the freedom of being able to put out there their thoughts and their views on how they see the world that may look and seem philosophical at times, very personal at times, but it's coming through their version of how they are evaluating reality, either on those things that are that are constructs of what is um, obvious, what are clear, or simply just feelings and they're not able to be able to clarify that for what it is. Yeah, so I, I love that you brought up the social media oh, side yeah, of it. Humongous. We try to talk about that a lot on here. But what you're saying is social media has now publicized worldview yeah. for the masses to see. And I'll even say that what has happened in social media is simply because I can articulate it, write it, and then hit send, I think most people think that what I just sent is truth. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. As opposed to a perception mm-hmm. of truth. But it's, mm-hmm. it's truth because I, I said it. Yeah. Something kind of wrong with that, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's I think that's a good, uh, very practical or very relevant example yeah. of where worldview is demonstrated in some ways. Right. So let's talk about a biblical worldview. Okay. You know, and let's get down to... Um, how to how parents specifically can yeah. incorporate mm-hmm. that into their family's rhythm and life. So why should parents allow the Bible to inform their worldview? Okay, well, it, it really starts off with what I believe to be the fundamental basis of authority in Scripture. Okay, If I believe that the Scripture was simply a book that was written by men hundreds of years ago, well, then their, their, their particular perspective is not even as good as mine, it may be even less because they don't live where I live, right? So the issue of what should be guiding authority, and this is what I had a conversation with a person with just last week, if my particular belief or what I say to be truth only works in a certain period of time with a certain amount of people, then I don't know that you can call it truth that's applicable to humanity, Mm -hmm. right? 
Christians sometimes miss that. We think that certain of our mores or certain of our ethical values applies. If it applies only today, that means it should apply to everybody. I'm, I say we, we need to really think through that. The issue is this. If the Bible, however, as according to what it says in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, if it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, that is what gives the Bible the authoritative power that causes us to say that I need to suspend my perception or my opinion for something or more, someone that is greater. And Judeo -Christ, uh, uh, in the Judeo-Christian world, we believe that the Bible did not start with man, mm -hmm. though God did not bypass their personalities, but that he inspired them to write down his words through their situations. And so because we believe that God is the author of it, that is what establishes the Bible as an authority. Yeah. Let's let's go down the theolo theology go route here. Mm -hmm. John 1. Mm -hmm. In the beginning was the Word. Right. So the origin of this Word, this way of life, this way the world works, right. it originated before time. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what John is trying to articulate there. And then the man Jesus... The God man Jesus mm -hmm. displays it in perfect right. in a perfect way mm -hmm. there. Great. Very much. So what are the main aspects of a biblical worldview? Well, so let's take what the, the three questions that I asked before. Okay. You know, where'd we come from? Yeah. We are created by God as, intentionally as image bearers. Mm -hmm. Okay. We were designed to reflect the nature of God. So why are we here? Um, one may say from Genesis 1 that we are here to fill the earth, to multiply, to have dominion over it, to actually be God's managers and stewards yeah. of creation, but to reflect his nature, his character, all those things. What happened, what went wrong is sin. In other words, man was given a choice of whether to receive uh, truth from God about what's right or wrong or for man to do that on his own by going to a tree mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. And because we decided, no, I, I want to be like God on my terms, even though he was already everything that God had intended him to be, yeah. but we went for a different authority. We went for a different goal. In reaching for that, mankind was plunged into God basically saying, I'll respect your choices, but there are mm. consequences. Yep. And the consequences is death or biblically separation. Yep. Everything that we were designed to be is now marred. The image is now marred. And so because of that, it, hosts, it, it opens up a, a veritable Pandora's box of chaos into mankind so that now man is at odds with his nature, with creation, with himself, with each other, Adam and Eve, and also with God, mm. which God kind of said there would be some incredible consequences. Man decided to go with a different authority for that. Mm. Mankind has been suffering for that ever since. How do we fix it? Here's the thing. We can't. And for all of the attempts of different kinds of philosophies and societies that have offered ways of being able to fix it, we cannot address, we cannot fix, we cannot resolve the problem. The only way that that problem can be resolved is through God. And what God has done is he has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross is resol it resolves mankind's separation, that tones for his sin, and restores man to being the proper image bearer, though still imperfect, but still the image bearer of God, through which, therefore, restoration comes. And even though in this world, mankind, under the authority of Jesus Christ, can do a lot of incredible things, the full restoration is still yet to come. That's mm. only brought about by the power of, of God through Christ. But yet here on this planet, we can participate with Christ who is still in the process of redeeming mankind as it is. Yeah. And to use it as a kind of a jumping off point is that's why for family ministry at Forest Hill, we say that we have the vision to inspire kids, students, and families to make Jesus the priority of their lives. Yes, yes. And so 
we don't center our lives around our family. We don't center our lives around our work. We center our lives around Christ, and He radiates through our family, through our work, and out into our lives and community. And, and this like may that. be somewhat controversial, but we don't center our lives around church either. Mm, yeah, um, we center our lives around Jesus, who gives life. So yeah. here's the deal: Jesus Christ is not supposed to be a part of our system. Because that still puts us in charge of ordering what goes where. No, Jesus is the heart of our system. We surrender control to his authority, and he is the one that reorders our life yeah. in every one of those parsecs, in every one of those, those areas. Yeah, yeah. he elevates the image of God yes, in he us, right. heals, redeems, restores the brokenness yeah. mm-hmm. in us so that we can make a difference in the world. And, and something I, I tend to forget sometimes also is that Jesus, in his 33 and a half years of life, but also his three and a half years, he modeled for us what humanity is supposed to yeah, be. Yeah. So it's not just about the death and the resurrection. It's also about the life. Yeah. And so he shows mankind who God is, but he also shows mankind what man was always designed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So let's get practical. How can parents start developing a biblical worldview with their family? Yeah. So the first thing that happens is um, parents have, have, have got to decide the authority for their life. Yeah. They can't, yeah. I'm sorry, they will give to their kids what that authority is. Uh, yeah, they yeah, will, one yeah. way or the other. And so, especially when I talk about marriage, when I do premarital time you know, mm-hmm. with couples, I mention to them that it, it requires two whole people or people pursuing wholeness to make a family whole. It's kind of a weird math. One plus one equals one. Mm-hmm. So it starts off with that aspect of their covenant relationship with Christ. In other words, the issue for each parent, mother and father, is who's your authority? Mm. If the authority is truly not Jesus or, or God, that's going to show up yeah. in their life. So that's number one. Each parent, each person has to be accountable to God as their yeah. authority. And then after that, then there are, there's got to be practical ways of being able to help their kids realize that. One practical way is you could shove it down their throat, which, not, which doesn't really yeah. go real well. Yeah. And making religion this ritualistic punishment kind of a thing mm-hmm. with, with no grace is just about that. Or... The way that I was brought up and the way that I've tried to do it with my kids is to find ways to make it conversational within the regular rhythms of life. Mm. Okay? Yep. So, for instance, for us, and this, uh, it, our dinner t- the dinner table was always a place where we had a lot of conversations. Yeah. When my kids were young, we would do um, bedtime stories, and the bedtime mm-hmm. stories always came from the scriptures, and mm-hmm. I would use, sometimes I would use a drama, different ways of being able to uh, convey that, because that's what happened with me when I was a kid. Yeah. My parents did the same thing with me, and we would have that. But it's also the conversations. So um, at my house, um, as the kids were growing up, um, Saturdays were big breakfast days. Okay, that was waffles, pancakes, mm-hmm. French toast, whatever else, yep. and always conversations. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and give a resource uh, to parents yeah, to think please. about. One of our favorite resources was a book called Sticky Situations. Okay, and Sticky Situations too. Yeah, geared towards elementary school and junior high kids. Devotional books. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I would do devotionals as a, as, a, as a father, I would pick out passages of the scripture and then try to break it down for my kids. <laughs> and went over their head. Just didn't work real well. But these Sticky Situation books, it really is. Sticky situations for kids at their level that invited the parents to enter into a conversation with kids at that level. Mm-hmm. Incredible at the table because then our kids were answering situations from their perspective, relevant to them. And then me as a, as a father, I had a chance of finding out not just what my children were thinking, but how they were thinking. Yeah. And so I think it's important to be able to have those regular conversations that are a part of the regular rhythms of life. When we watch a movie. 
you know, even if it's Lion King with my son sitting on my lap at that mm-hmm. particular point, yep. not right now because he's 25, <laughs> but uh, Lion King and asking certain questions like, so what'd you think? What, 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 what did you see as a problem? What do you think are the lessons? Where do you see God in, mm-hmm. in all of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to have the conversation so they realize that a biblical worldview is not something that is restricted to only when you're at church. Yeah, yeah. That's but, really good. But it's through all yeah. of life. Yeah, I, I, I want to hone in on that is to be able to notice God in yeah. and around us. Yes. And to that question, where do we see God in it? Where don't we see God in it? And what was the outcome yeah. of this? And exactly so those right. sort of things. I would throw in there what is, uh, for me, a five-minute principle. I, it's a five-minute drive to drop my kids off yes. at school. Yeah, yeah. You know? I have them for five minutes, so I could waste that five minutes, mm-hmm. or I could use that to talk about the day, talk mm-hmm. about how we're going to treat people, talk about the relationships they may have, how they're going to respect teachers, and we always end with prayer. Yeah. When we're in that car line, you yeah. know, we're all like, oh, this car line is so mm-hmm. long. Let's say a prayer, you know, for the day. So I found those, just like you said, dinner table, watching movies. Yeah, but really those so. those rhythms of the day, mm-hmm. really good. Now, I will, I will say, however, that investment in church, extremely important mm-hmm. in the church community. Um, and so that's, you know, the classes, Bible studies, life groups, Sunday schools, those kinds of things, worship, serving. Um, when, I, when we came to Forest Hill Church, my kids were very young. One of the first things that we did was we went to um, one of the inner city churches and communities, and mm-hmm. we were actually serving together as a family. Yep. You know, my wife was doing face painting and the kids were involved in stuff. That was a phenomenal experience for all of us. And we had an opportunity to be able to talk about that later. I'll say also dealing with the, some of the tragedies of life. Yeah. And letting kids have the chance of being able to verbalize their own frustrations, questions, qualms, doubts about God, about how life was supposed to work. My wife uh, has been an MSFer for most mm-hmm. of our marriage, and it, our kids have seen over the years a lot of decline, and there have been a lot of questions, and there's been a lot of anger and frustration uh, about uh, where God was in the whole process. Yeah. And rather than sometimes giving them the answer, it's allowing a lot of time for the question to be on the table properly and for me to to, to wander through that. Yeah. I'll say one of my favorite times at our breakfast table was when the kids, my kids, introduced me to particular songs. Mm. You know, uh, One of the songs that I remember that my family and I, we were blown away by was by um, the group Red. I don't know if they're, how okay. popular they are right now, but it was a song, Take It All Away. Mm-hmm. And my kids introduced that group to me and introduced yeah. that song. That became a devotional for us. Mm. You know, We played that song and it was just powerful for where we were yeah. at that particular point. So part of it is not just what you give to your kids, but also what you receive from them in their process of the faith, of formulation of their faith. Yeah. And one thing to remind parents at this point is, you know, you share from experience, they just got to make a decision. Start somewhere. Start yeah. on the drive to school. Yeah. Start mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, Yeah. once a week. Make a big breakfast and start the conversation. That's what it's all about. Back to your point about you cannot force faith no, down their can't. throat. No, you can't. You can't force church down their throat. You can't force a worldview on them, but you can talk them through it. Yeah. You can answer their questions. They're going to form a worldview. Yeah, they are. So it, usually those things that are forced upon us, mm-hmm. we usually repel mm-hmm. them. Right. So how can parents affirm the formation of a biblical world in their family? Because it's not going to be overnight. Right. It's over time right. that a worldview is formed. Like you said at the beginning, as we were talking through the formation of worldview. So how can parents affirm that? Um, it's similar to the previous question of how you develop that, mm-hmm. correct? I mean, it's, it's, there's a foundation to that. So it's, it's kind of like um, reward your kids when you catch them doing something right. Yeah, right? yeah so, exactly. So when, certain, when they say certain things or do certain things um, to reward, to affirm, to celebrate the decisions, uh, one of the ways I've, I've done that with my kids is that when they ask questions that are legitimate doubts, 
I affirm the legitimacy of their doubts hmm. rather than squelch it, squash it with a yeah. Bible verse or a prayer and tell them, no, 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 you can't think like that to help them realize that God is bigger than our circumstance and he can handle. Yeah. Because I also know that sometimes when you keep people from asking the kinds of questions that are buried deep in the soul, you're saying something about God that you probably don't intend to say. So that's another way of being able to affirm the formulation of a worldview is realizing, and, and part of the worldview is this world's broken. Mm-hmm. This world's broken. And sometimes the church has not done a good job in being honest about that. To the point to where then generations grow up realizing you never told us the truth. You never seem to want to look at it. So we're leaving because we want to be a part of some type of a community where they're willing to be genuine and authentic about the reality of life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, again, in my home, it's been, it's impossible to not be real about what's going on because it's just been really yeah. difficult. Yeah. And, um, and so making sure that there's an environment where you can be honest about that and affirming that. And yet at the same time, when you see them take steps of trust in spite of, yeah, right, yeah, to uh, not just to celebrate that with them, but to identify mm-hmm. that you are a pilgrim in the same process as well. Um, when they uh, have made decisions in spite of the fact that they've got peer pressure that's against them or inner feelings that are going another direction and they still decide to do the right thing has to make sure that you affirm them as a fellow pilgrim and not Mm. just as my boy or my daughter, my son or daughter, but as a fellow disciple on the road. Thank you for affirming both of those, the doubts and the faith. You have to. Right. Is that in some ways it's this, um, this balance, this, this dance is to be able to grow in faith. We have to be honest with our doubts there instead of ignoring them Mm -hmm. or they will eat eat it alive. That's one of the things that when I hear, you know, I heard David Chadwick say, our senior pastor, you know, that we should doubt our doubts. If we do nothing with the doubt, it can become unbelief. Mm -hmm. Having a doubt is not the issue. It's what you do with it. That's the the issue. That was a sermon series. I think it was like years ago that I remember as a instrumental in how I also deal with my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And to that, to that point, we know parents have doubts too. Yes. And so there's part of that where we're wrestling together in faith and growing together as a family. Yeah. And so the the fear that parents may have of going, oh, I'm not perfect. I've made my mistakes. I have my doubts. Yeah. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. You know? So. And, and God is working with all of us as we're honest and authentic mm-hmm. with that. Well, this has been really great. And for me, that that idea that we're all going to submit ourselves to an authority, whether that's ourselves or God's authority. Mm. And to emphasize that God's authority is a loving authority. That doesn't mean that it's it's not going to, you know, be difficult at times to accept some of that authority. Authority is difficult at times, but he's a loving father. Well, I would I would say that we need to re- refine what love means. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that love is sentimental. Yep. No, Parents who love their kids will do whatever they can to protect them, yes. either from forces beyond or forces inside the home because yeah. we love so much. And so we see that with God. We talk, we have the, one of the worship songs about fierce, mm-hmm. you know, that God loves us with a fierce kind of love. That's not a mamby-pamby, easy, yeah. but sometimes it's a disciplining kind of love. But it's because we want nothing less than the best yeah. for, our, for our kids. Um, so we, we need to make sure that we refine, we define and clarify what true loving authority is. Yeah, is, and that's I think that's perfect connection to the parents. Yeah, very because much so. if God is our perfect example of a father, 
there. And parents wear broken expressions of yeah, that. But yeah. still, at the end of the day, we're trying to do stuff out of love mm-hmm. for our children. Mm-hmm. So the, the discipline, the structure that we may give, or the direction, it's it's got to come yeah. from love, yeah, you know, or the motivation is broken. So, Jonathan, thank you for being on this podcast yep. and speaking into this really important topic. Mm-hmm. It's going to influence our life. Absolutely. So why don't you give our parents a final piece of encouragement or advice as a wrap Yeah, uh, two things. Number one, make sure that you are nourishing your own relationship with God. Mm. Uh, sometimes people allow their family get-togethers to be that place where they're nourished. And it, that's a definite place to do that. But you need to be nourishing your relationship with God. It's going to be hard for you to be able to help your children to follow God as their father if you're not following God as your father. So both as individuals, as couples, to be able to continue to nurture that. On the practical side, I would say this. One of the greatest things that I have done with my kids is in conversation with them, try to spend a lot of time asking questions. Mm. Okay. As a matter of fact, my kids know that when they come to me with a question, it's going to be a long (laughs) discussion because I'm going to be asking a lot of questions and and whatever else. But I think it's important for parents to do what they can in a sensitive, loving way to pull out from their kids their process of thinking rather than just giving answers. I'm not saying I've done that really well all the time, but I love listening to my children's process of thought and their heart. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. I know our parents and the people of Forest Hill Church love your ministry and how you serve the body of Forest Hill Church. I love this church and I love the privilege of what I get to do here. Would you mind praying for our parents as we wrap it up? Yep. Please. Father, we thank you that even in calling you Heavenly Father, that shows us there's a model of how we should be parents as well. And you're the best parent in the world, and yet your first two kids, they had issues, <laughs> which means that parents, they don't need to fret about some of the issues that they're dealing with. You understand and you know. But I pray, and I, again, one of the messages that David has preached is how everything that happens to us is father-filtered, always for our good and for your glory. So I pray your comfort. I pray your peace. For the parents who are trying to figure out, like Samson's parents were like, how do we raise this kid? I pray that, Lord, you'd help them to realize that your door is always open and that the resources of being able to parent properly are ours in Christ. So help the parents to come to you with a sense of peace and faith, knowing full well that they don't have to have all the answers. All they, they need to have you and that you'll direct them, God. I pray that our families in this church would grow deep and wide and strong and high in an understanding of the fullness of the love and the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. Bless them, I pray. Keep them close to you that we may raise a generation of disciples who truly follow Christ and worship you in spirit and truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Parent on, parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org.